Hi, I'm Han. And I'm Sheree. You're listening to It Just Got Real. So, Sheree, what's been going on? Woo, yeah. So, I am New York City apartment searching at the time where everyone in the whole wide world is leaving New York. <laughs> Which is ironic, considering that I'm usually the person living in another country, another place. So does that mean that there's like hella apartments for rent there right now? There are. You can literally do your thing in New York City right now. So that must be amazing. You should be able to get a like fireplace. Yes, that is very true. And that's actually what my real moment is. It's actually like on today. Like this is a hot off the presses real moment. So <laughs> okay, I've spent maybe three days, four days, morning to sundown looking at apartments all over New York City. And I was able to kind of realize that like from when I lived in New York City seven years ago, like my budget looks different. You know, we've raised around, like I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm not balling, but like I'm, I can have a not horrible New York City apartment. So anyway- yeah. I see a few places and I start zeroing in on some places that I like, like a lot. And I'm like, these are beautiful and I love them. And they have all these things. One place even had like a brick oven pizza uh, kiln in the backyard. Like it just was, it's incredible. And so I was like, oh my God, like my house is gonna be the shit. And then I was like, but it's not my house though. And so Mm -hmm. there was this moment where it was like, I can afford these places, but like, is it the right thing to do? Or should Mm -hmm. I get like a cheapy two bedroom because it's not my house? And should I just like grin and bear a cheaper, less popping, less spacious, less cute, less centrally located apartment so that I could save for a house? Because I'm not a 22 year old founder. Like, I'm a 36-year-old founder with a kid and a dog. And at some point, I want to buy a house and, like, adult on that level. And Mm -hmm. so the struggle I had was sort of, I have always been, like, a no plan B person. I'm definitely, like, a if you start working or planning for B, then you'll never hit A. Yeah, and you also just use energy planning for B and C and D. It's the worst thing to do. And exactly. I think women are encouraged to do it all the time. People we are. are like, oh, what's your plan B? It's basically like a socially acceptable way of saying, you're probably going to fail, so you might want to think about it, something else. It's like, no, F you. I'm going for plan A. This is the deal. So as a founder, like at the end of the day, my whole goal in life outside of building a really successful company that serves our community you know, the other side of that is the financial side. Like I'm also mm-hmm. supposed to be working towards a multi-million dollar exit at some yeah. point, whether it's, you know, ringing the stock exchange or getting acquired, like it's supposed to be about these dollars and a lot of them. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we're in this. You don't, you don't start a company in VC if you're not also focused on some kind of financial reward. A pretty big one. A pretty big one. It's not worth it. There's, there's other ways right. to make right. nice money. Something else. <laughs> that are less stressful and difficult. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so it was like two-sided. So one was the like grown up like, should I be renting a fancy apartment when like I should be buying a place? But then the thing was like the saving part. So... It's going to take me like at my salary to like buy a house in New York. It's going to take me like five to seven years, like to have enough down payment 
to buy a house. And I was like, but are you really working to like save money for the down payment of your house? You're supposed to be exiting your startup at multi-million dollars and buying whatever the hell house you want. Mm -hmm. And so that was the like, oh, Mm. while they're separate thoughts in theory, there is this bit where it's like, if I'm making a choice to basically live in like a struggle apartment, because my psychology says you need to save for this house in seven years, that's off. Yeah, it's off. That's off. I should I, be getting the apartment yeah, I should, can you should afford. Just get the nice apartment because your job is a struggle. And I should have a nice apartment. And have a nice place to live, which is feels like a sanctuary that's not stressful because everything else about your life is hella stressful. Yes. And then there's also like the abundant mindset. Absolutely. If you live in a nice place, it's going to, that environment is going to influence you. Like, yeah, when I'm in a place that even if it's just like not organized properly, like personally, it like affects me. I'm like, I need serenity to work in, especially when we're working from home and doing and all the damn time from home right now. Seven days a week. Like my Uber budget is like zero now. <laughs> right. But at the same time, I had all these thoughts. I was like, mm. what if my company fails and then I can't get a job? That will never happen. <laughs> it may never happen. But in real life, if tastemakers failed today, I wouldn't even know what job to apply for. I've been there too. And I think every founder goes to those like dark thoughts. And I had a friend say to me once, and I'm going to say now, having the experience of having built a company under your belt, like so many people want to hire that person. Like you're never going to have a problem finding work. That is like the least of your problems. The question is more like, how much will you be able to exit your startup for? Well, yeah, yeah. But I think my thinking like, just being transparent with our listeners, like my thinking was like, what if I fail and I don't exit my startup and it just fails, like it just closes. And then I like can't get a job and then I can't afford the rent. Like I had all of these thoughts. Right. You were like, just like future tripped while you were looking at the apartments. Literally. Like, and then the other thing is like, I mean, one of our investors had to tell me like straight up, he was like, I don't know if it's the woman thing, but you need to like pay yourself the money you're supposed to be getting paid. You live in New York City. You're not going to be any good to the company if like that's your salary. And I was thinking like, man, I was telling a friend of mine, I was like, you know, there's still so little transparency on founder salaries and at which Mm -hmm. stage. That's actually such a big problem. And you hear all the time like, oh, those founders are paying themselves too much. But like, how much is too much? And where were they living? And who were they supporting? And like, did they have other savings or not? A lot of founders in the game have money going into it. Like, this is a very privileged industry. We're exactly. In. Like, not that many people start a startup with like nothing in their savings account these days. Right. The risk is not the same. Yeah. But then it's also like language, right? So you might hear like founder bros, like, man, I'm on a struggle salary. But like, to me, struggle salary means like, oh, I'm paying myself like maybe 50,000 a year. Like that's struggle salary to me. But to Mm -hmm. this bro, 150K might be struggle salary in his mind. Yeah. Yeah. In his mind, when he's thinking about his earning potential with his MIT degree, to him, 150K could be the struggle salary he's (laughs) referencing. And I'm listening to him translating, I really also should be having a struggle salary. Mm-hmm. And then I'm paying myself like 40K a year, you know, eating ramen and angry at the world. Like, 
You know, so we're like listening to this opaque language, not thinking about like the reference points for people who are giving the advice on what founders should make and what we shouldn't make. Absolutely. But like nobody's yeah. giving you the receipts. And VCs, I think for the most part, are going to be saying like, oh, founders should keep their salaries low, which is generally like the truth. And that's like that if you're going to dispense advice just at a general level, that's what you should be saying. Because, yeah, of course, you don't want like all this money going to the the founders. That's ridiculous. But it's a balance. It's a balance between like, what do you need to live off of? And like, what little bit can you have to keep yourself comfortable so you don't go totally insane living yeah. in a big city? Yeah, it was just wild. And I think for me, it was also like, in many ways, living the dream, like being a founder is a hard dream to live in that, mm-hmm. like the work of it and like the never ending nature of it is something that is really, really hard to explain to anybody who's not doing it. But at the same time, like it's a privilege in other ways. And there is this interesting place where like you are every day working to be a multimillionaire and to make other people a lot of money. That yeah. is what you're doing going the venture-backed route. Like, yeah. it's not just about, I started a company and I want it to go well. Like, no, I need to go really fucking well. It needs to be like a home run for me and also for our investors. Exactly. So it's like, that is supposed to be your focus. So it's interesting to be in a moment of reflection and sort of say like, oh, but what about my like, personal financing and this incremental savings I should be doing year over year to buy a house one day. Like they feel at odds with each other. They are at odds with each other. Like it's a different mindset. I'll go on record and say like, I have straight up had arguments about this with like financial advisors and financial planners where everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, like you have your job and you like work your way up and you have your 401k and like do to do and like up and to the right, linear scale, marching along, and then cool, you can buy a house. And I'm like, right. So I'm not interested in this. <laughs> That's not what I'm doing with my life. I've taken a few bold bets. Some have kind of paid off. Some have totally not paid off at all. This is my second company and I'm going for it. So yeah. like I've had to explain to them, like, that's why I have more savings liquid than I really should on paper because like anything could go wrong at any moment right now. And I've got to like rely on me. And they're like, okay, well, you're crazy. I can't give you advice. And then yeah, that never ends well. P.S. If you're out there listening and you do this kind of thing, I think financial advice or like financial planning for people who work in this kind of field would actually be really helpful because there are some things that you can do to make it a little bit easier. But the people who are trained in this discipline, they don't think like that. No, they're not thinking about like you mm-hmm. trying to build a multi-million dollar company, but like not go insane and not like the one thing I decided to do in this whole thing was like get my credit up. Mm -hmm. But I think bigger than the money. So like the money piece and the mindset around money, Mm -hmm. like you can't have a I'm a save for eight years and buy a house mindset and the I'm going to exit my company mindset at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like I just don't feel like these two things are compatible. And so my note to self in the like picking of this apartment is that I gotta choose a side. Yeah. I heard this advice once from another founder and when I was starting my company and he was like, keep your living costs as low as possible. And he was right. You absolutely should. 
but also keep them comfortable because that is the place that you are going to be in all the time, like working till three in the morning, working all weekends when your friends are out having a good time and you're telling them, no, you can't hang. It's a tricky balance. I think also, especially it's worth noting too, for I've noticed in business, like there's a certain appearance you need to keep up as well doing these meetings. And on Zoom, this is less of a thing these days. But when I was doing like my pitch meetings in person, like you can't walk into a fancy ass like VC office looking like a no, especially like, not as okay, a woman. So truth be told, this is where the double standard comes in. Like dudes, they can walk in there wearing jeans and a hoodie because that's like the Silicon Valley uniform. We can. But if you're a woman in no. your thirties, you cannot Mm-mm. walk in there looking like that. That is a hell to the no. You need to look professional. Yeah, you got to look somewhat put together. You have yeah. to have like a couple of nice things on that make you look like that you are money because you're going to make them money. You know yeah. and. That's another thing that I realized going into this is like, I actually had to like buy outfits for meetings and stuff that I didn't previously own. Absolutely. And even, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about tastemakers and what we're doing with members. And I I think bigger than mm-hmm. the financial conversation, I read this tweet by a founder I have a lot of respect for. His name is Iyanolua Abuyeji. He goes by E for short. He's a Nigerian entrepreneur. He was the original founder of Endela, which folks know is like super big now and also founded a company called Flutterwave. But he tweeted this comment and it was like 10 minutes from Calabar. For those that don't know, Calabar is a big city in Southern Nigeria. So he goes, 10 minutes from Calabar is not the middle of nowhere. Your faves are loud mouths with zero vision. And that is why our generation is a joke. This tweet cut me to my core in the kind of things I'm thinking about right now. So I started Tastemakers very much with vision, right? So I had a vision for what it could be. As it's evolved and we've become a venture-backed company, all these different things, it's very much a company. And it's a company with a vision, but then there's Sheree's own personal vision for life and how things should go. And I think one of the tension points with my move is that I didn't want to live in the States. I wanted to move to Ghana. Like I really, really wanted to move to Ghana. I wanted to have my son come with me to Ghana, spend a few years at Ghana. And I thought I could build the company from there. But it was basically broken down that like, you might not be able to raise a Series A if you do that. And in the world that we know, that makes a ton of sense. I definitely had to be in New York City to close my seed, even though like I was in Albany, like I, like I couldn't even close the seed from two and a half hours away, let alone a 10 hour flight. So I got that. But then there's this little part of me that's like, who says I can't? I mean, in many ways, everything I'm doing now is something most people would have said. Most people would have said, you can't get VC funding to build a company connecting African-Americans to Africa. So Mm -hmm. there's a part of me that's like, I hear you. And I know it's like sound advice and it's been given to me by several people and people I really trust and respect. But there is the part of me that's like, Sheree, like, what is your grand vision? And are you willing to, and should you abide by convention to achieve the vision you want? And then the other question I had to my, said to myself is, at what point in your life do you really get to lean into being a visionary. 
Is it after you've achieved like a certain amount of success? Mm. As much as in my gut, I kind of feel like I probably can do it and figure it out from there. And there is a part of me that's like, my kid is not getting any younger. And I would love the influence of, quite frankly, my Black son being in a Black country and coming of age there versus coming of age in America. Mm. If I stay in New York for three years, adolescence will happen in racist-ass America. And I didn't want that. And I won't get adolescence back. Like, it's gone. And so I was saying to myself, like, is this your vision for yourself? Is chasing the VC dollar at odds with your vision for yourself? But at the same time, I want to build a multi-million dollar company. I want to build a billion dollar company. Yeah. Well, people often say that things can't be done when they haven't been done before. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be done. It's just that no one maybe has ever done this. Right. And so I think the part of that that's difficult is like, there's so many things in your head. Like, well, I'm already a Black woman founder and we already know that's hard. And then I'm building a company that's not a hardcore technology company. We're a tech-enabled company. So mm-hmm. there are going to be mad VCs that write it off as a lifestyle business to start. Like, I already know the narratives that I'm right. up against. It's so funny to hear you say that, though, because also VCs don't give a shit about our tech whenever I talk about it. They're like, yeah, computer vision, whatever. Talk to me about your network. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I feel so like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, that's how it feels. <laughs> Literally. Exactly. So yeah. I'm like at odds with going with what I really want to do and feeling like I can make it happen. But also knowing like raising a Series A, like you need the support of your seed investors. Like you Mm -hmm. cannot raise a Series A without it. So if I live across the ocean and our current folks are like, "Mm, that's just not a good look. But it also feels like the trade-off is huge. And so when I read E's tweet about like vision, it just made me think, am I making a a trade-off? Because I think the thing, the reason it made me think of it is because I wondered why I didn't push back. Like, I didn't push back at all. Yeah. And it made me think, like, well, do I not have enough conviction? Because I'm not, like, a person that, like, just goes with whatever, like, our stakeholders say. Like, and I, it also makes a lot of sense for you to, like, live in the place that your company is all about. You know, remember how, like, mm, 10 years ago, definitely, maybe even still five years ago-ish, but it was probably coming to an end then, People would think you were crazy for not making your tech company in the Bay Area. And investors used to force founders to move there. And they would like pick up the entire team and be like, you have to move to the Bay. And that was like standard practice for years and years. And now like that never happens anymore. It's like, you want to build your company in Colorado? Cool. You want to do it in Texas? Great. Like you want to build it in Florida? We invest there too. And in fact, like, Founders are encouraged to leave big city metros because it's so expensive to pay for talent. I wonder if this conversation that we're having right now is going to seem as quaint as what I just described in like 10 years. I do think there will be a time where this is not a thing. And I do also think like if I had more conviction that being based there would significantly grow the company, I'd probably take the bet. I think the Mm -hmm. challenge for me is like, I don't know if being there grows the company faster. It may also be that it's like, 
net net for the company, maybe it's not better nor worse being in Ghana or New York. And you wouldn't know that until you try it. But maybe it's like net positive for your life and your son's life. Absolutely. And I think even on the personal life, I didn't have enough conviction. Mm. Like I think on my personal life, it was a gamble. And it was a gamble I was willing to take because it's something I've wanted to do my whole life. It's just like commit to being there. And I was kind of like, if I get there and it's a year and I don't like it, then, you know, I come back to the States or do something else. And so... New York is not a horrible place. It doesn't mean I can't go to Ghana for extended time if I need to. And if in that time, while I'm there, some really cool stuff happens that gives me more conviction, then maybe I'll revisit it. But right now, I'm making some trade-offs that are difficult. And it makes me wonder if my vision for my life is maybe not always aligned with Not the vision for the company because they're aligned, but the timing and the execution. It's scary to like give up on the dream the way you thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, like there are trade-offs. There are desires you're going to have individually, especially once you're working in your company for a long time. Where you are when you start your company, that mindset, depending on like where you are in age, like will shift. And your company still needs what your company needs. And you're going to have to battle like a series of knowns and unknowns, possibilities and realities. And so much of it is subjective that you really have to be in tune with like your vision for life and your impact and your vision for like society. E's tweet was about a, a city he's building. And like, I have dreams of being an ambassador. Like, and and doing a bunch of, I want to own farms. Like, there's so many things I want to do. And you have to set them aside. And I've learned, like, I often feel like I have to set these other dreams aside because I, too, have, like, all these other things I want to do. And we've talked about this. Like, I want to write a book. I want to maybe be a VC one day. Like, I yeah. would like to actually just practice design again. <laughs> right. Like, full, like, and not be a founder at the same time. And I think what it really is, is, like, whenever I catch myself dreaming about these things as we all do, because we all have these kinds of hopes and dreams. And then thinking to myself, oh no, I need to put that away. I can't have that dream right now because I'm focused on this one thing. And this one thing is taking all of my energy. It's actually not that I can't have those things eventually. It's like almost that I can't spare the time to think about them too hard right now. And I also think I say this a lot, but I'm a both and person. Obviously, you have to make choices and and choose and you can't do everything all the time at once. You just be all over the place. But I am trying to be in a place where I have an abundant mindset and I'm really on myself right now about like every minute and like really considering time so I can really say like, why do I have to wait to be a VC after being a founder? Yeah. There was a great tweet about that this week. It was like, why don't you do something with that like $5.56 that's sitting in your Chase checking account? (laughs) It was really good. But like, yeah, right? There's a point at which you can start writing angel checks if you're ready to do it, I guess. You don't have to wait. Maybe. Maybe. Or scout for somebody else, right? Like scout programs and all the things. Yeah. But I don't know. As an older founder, I think there is a... And it's funny. I say older founder because like the media version of a founder is 23, but like in real life, 
there are plenty of founders that are the same age as us. And also for those listening today, the stats show that founders who are in their 30s are consistently more like reliable and successful. Woo woo for the 30s. Probably because, I mean, I was kind of a mess in my 20s. <laughs> Girl, I could not be running a company. So, but moving on, let's talk about some record scratch moments. I mean, this week, like there's... WTF the whole week. Like the big one, obviously, is that like Donald Trump knew what was up. I felt like sick when I was listening to that. Like that segment, I heard like listening to the audio of it on the news. Yeah. I was like having breakfast that morning and I just like stopped eating, like completely lost my appetite. I'm just never surprised by this man, honestly. Mm -mm. He is just such a hideous person like I don't care what like he's just he's so smart and uses it for such evil but I was I hate also when like people say he's how dumb can you, I hate like, it I don't understand like I'm not American so but like I don't understand how can you like willfully do something that doesn't protect the American people and not get like in a ton of trouble for that like isn't that kind of like the opposite of being the president his whole presidency is the opposite of being a president like the whole thing of course but like that one in particular it's like on record like this is very serious like he didn't protect people it doesn't matter like the way he set the whole situation up the justice department is in his favor they're not gonna I mean we just need to vote like that's literally what it is and yeah. I know that that like totally simplifies the problem and there's all kinds of other stuff too but like that is a step that we can take because this is ridiculous. Like, he is a murderer. And I know, like, that sounds extreme, but it's not. I know. I saw a tweet about, like, oh, we've been mourning 9-11 for 20 years. And we're also told to kind of, like, not worry too much about the, like, 190,000 people that have died with COVID in the same breath. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of what happened this week. It was... Yeah. The needle scratched off the record, onto the floor... Into the next room, <laughs> rolled down the street. <laughs> a mess, a mess, a mess, a mess. Almost as much as a mess as school is right now. Mm, tell me, are you sending your son back to school this fall? No, I am definitely virtual schooling because it just Zoom doesn't school. feel like they have it together and they seem quite flustered. And I'm like, the world has changed enough. I don't really want to like, send him into this weird, like, we're in school. Okay, wait, nope, somebody's got the Rona. We're not in school. Like, it's too much. Like, I'm just like, through the end of the year, get a tutor, hopefully find some homies that we can, like, yeah. meet up with and learn. Like, that's kind of the kick I'm on right now. And mm -hmm. I am nobody's, like, mama And especially PTA with your schedule, you just don't have time for, like, it's this thing. Now it's this other exactly. thing. Like, you need to I set up a time. structure that works and then, like, rinse and repeat and not think about this anymore. And so... That's a decision I made. But the record scratch moment was I sent an email because I was like, hey, opted into virtual, haven't heard anything. Sometimes I'm bad about my personal email. Can you send me whatever you've sent out? And the like head of instruction for my son's school district was like, you didn't miss anything. We'll be sending out something in the next couple of days. It's changing every day. That was the email. And I was just like, you don't have a plan yet? This was like three days ago. Mind you, school starts tomorrow. I still don't have an email. I don't know when he's supposed to, I don't know what the Zoom link is. So there's no Zoom link? There's nothing yet? I don't know anything. All I know is he's supposed to be at school in the morning, at Zoom school. I don't know anything else. And I'm just like, so what y'all was doing all summer? Like what? 
I don't understand. How could you not have that together by now? And the exhibit A of why I'm opting out and we're in primer and I'm finding all the new, you know, homeschool startups. Like, I'm like, where they at? Give me that beta invite. I'm trying to figure it out. So, yeah, it's a journey. Shout out to the, the moms and dads listening who are also trying to figure out your lives and you know, be able to record your podcast without your kid interrupting. <laughs> but I give him credit. Every Sunday, he, like, shuts it down. So, anywho, that's my record scratch. That is so much. I can't believe that they don't have a plan yet. That is just wild to me. That is absolutely wild. Well, I've got a culture moment. I finished watching I May Destroy You by Michaela Cole. The and it is so good. It is. And, like... A lot of people had said it was amazing and I should watch it. But this is what I actually want to say about this, which is that I didn't want to watch it because I didn't think that I was going to be able to deal with the subject matter. So like trigger warning, it is about sexual assault and rape. And I was like, I don't know that I can deal with that. I don't want to watch this on a Sunday night. This is not my jam. But then somehow I like forgot what it was about and it got like recommended to me on HBO Max. And then I was like, oh, this actually looks kind of cool. I'll just like watch one episode one night when I was like unpacking some stuff. And then I was like, oh, my God, this actor is amazing. And this is so funny and and cool and interesting and lighthearted. And I just got like completely sucked into it. And it wasn't really until like the second or third episode that I like put two and two together and I was like, oh shit, this was the show that I didn't want to watch because of the subject matter, but now I'm watching it. Now I have to finish it up. Yeah. And so this is like my call to everybody who has been, if you've been thinking the same thing, like I don't want to watch this because I've been through something or my friend has, or I can't deal with this. It's too heavy. It's not at all. It's actually like so well handled. I don't even know how to describe how well handled it is without giving too much away, obviously. But it's like, it's authentic without being like too depressing or it never feels like too heavy handed. It's very funny the whole time. And it's like British humor too. So it's like cringe funny where you're like, oh God, you're not actually going to do that thing right now, are you? I love I'm just going to like put my head behind the pillow. Right. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and everybody's just so flawed, but so lovable. And it's real and it's it's really, really, really well done. And I I can't recommend it enough. And I didn't even find that I was like dwelling on the subject matter, or even thinking about it that much. I was really thinking about the characters and the storyline, which is, yeah. is I think what they want. And so, yeah, shout out to Michaela for making that happen. It is amazing, dope series. She has an epic cover on um, Garage Magazine right now. Mm. Also, she's Ghanaian, British Ghanaian. And then the photographer is also a Ghanaian woman. And oh, it's cool. sick. Like, it's so freaking beautiful. It doesn't make sense. We featured it in our... She has such an incredible look. Like, the whole time, I'm just like, your features are, like, out of this world. Yeah. I look yeah. at my cheekbones. And Those cheekbones, wow. They're not flexing <laughs> like Michaela's. Um... Dope. Love, love, love that culture moment. Mine is actually, um, I am a big fan of like my grandma's soul music and versus TV, which is the thing that Timberland and Swizz Beats started during Corona. And it was really cool because they would bring these, you know, celebrities that are kind of peers together and have them sort of 
versus like from the comfort of their own home, they'd get on IGTV or IG Live or whatever it is. And they would like battle songs and there would be all this commentary and it was just hilarious. Now it's evolved. There's like an Apple Music partnership. Diddy's got his Ciroc in every, you know, shot. And now they're doing them socially distanced in the same venue. I personally don't like it as much. It was really funny to see like who knew how to use their phone and who didn't. So I miss, I miss that. Like, yeah, I miss- like wasn't, wait, wasn't it the early days of COVID when Erica Badu and Jill did her, Scott did it. And and yeah, Jill Scott. That was so good. It and it was, was just like them in their living room. It was, was like, great. So cool. It was great. I mean, there was the one, the, the original verses that like everybody talks about is like when it was Babyface versus Teddy Riley and Teddy mm. Riley's Wi-Fi was trash. And it was like, like it became like the COVID meme. Like if your Wi-Fi is bad, they'd be like, mm, Teddy Riley. And like Teddy Riley just means like you have shit internet. So that's really funny. But the verses this week was with Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle. And it was like, someone called it Auntie Chella and it made my life. <laughs> I was like, it is Auntie Chella. It was so, Patti LaBelle is Auntie like. Auntie Chella should be a thing. I love oh Auntie Chella. Oh my God, Chella. why doesn't that exist? It needs to exist. I'm there. I'm going in my best auntie outfit. Like I'm team Auntie Chella, but it was so good. And it was just funny because they like leaned into the whole like build up. And I just thought it was dope to see like these singers that have been making hits like since before we were born, just transitioning into like the age of the internet and being on IG Live and also just leaning into their personalities and like putting them up for like a new generation. But like also just being aunties, like they were so shady boots, like at one point, they were talking about Monica and Brandy's verses, and Patti LaBelle was like, oh, maybe it was Gladys Knight. She was like, y'all got to get it together, because they were still having, like, Brandy and Monica had, like, a real beef at one point. And so it was funny that, like, Patti and Gladys were, like, shading them, like, y'all need to get it together. Like, it was just so good. And Patti LaBelle is known to, like, kick off her shoes during performances. So she brought a shoe rack on stage for the ver- It was, oh, like, wow. like, the whole... Thing I was like, I wish I was in Florida so I could like Apple TV mirror it so that my grandmother could watch it. But mm-hmm. I wasn't willing to be like family tech support tonight. So my grandma had to miss out. I'm so proud of her for having Zoom. So we're going to keep it there. Like we're just going to keep her at Zoom. I'll send her the YouTube. I'm sure they recorded it. But yeah, that's my culture moment. It made me happy. It made me think about Sunday with my grandma, like we would mm. go to church with gospel and leave church with midnight train to Georgia, Gladys Knight. That was like my grandma's jam. So it just mm. made like I could picture the car that she had and like the whole nine. So it brought me a mm. lot of joy. And That's it was lovely. Cool. Oh, I wish I'd caught that. That's the moment. So speaking of gospel, it's interesting you should mention that because we had some email this week from a listener. We made it. We got listener. We email? got email, and Mama, I was pretty it. excited. I was like, "Wow, we so, made it." We um, made it. Jeremy emailed us about our question about Usher, who the verses should be. Yes, and who did Jeremy say? I'm listening. So yeah, this is where the gospel ties in. Tevin Campbell. Tevin, get well. Why gospel? Tevin Campbell's an R&B singer. He started as a gospel singer. Well, so did, did all the other R&B singers. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> But (laughs) (laughs) him and every other Black person singer. (laughs) But let's talk about that because I was like, hmm, Kevin Campbell, I'm not sure. No. It's not the right era. It's not the right era, yes. 
But also, like, Tevin Campbell just never became nearly as big of a star as He's Usher. He's not Usher-level success. And don't get me wrong. Round and Round was a vibe. Like, I still sing it. I'm. It's still on my iTunes. Like Tevin Campbell is very smooth, like Usher. Yes. <laughs> but he was, like, in the same way that Chris Brown can't be Usher's person because Usher was Chris Brown's idol, Tevin Campbell, in some ways, was Usher's idol. Yeah. They both were, like singing songs at 12 that were popular. Like, I hear you, but we're still not there. We still don't have who Usher's versus partner should be. So I thought it a little about it a little bit more. And this may also be an unpopular choice, but I was like, okay, who's in the same, like, who's just as timeless and in the same, like, era? So what's flawed about this answer is that this person is more underground than Usher is. But only, I want to point out, only because he decided to go that direction. Okay. Because he got so much stardom and success off one album and, like, couldn't really, didn't really want to be that sort of sex symbol that people were making him out to be. Now I'm curious. This buildup is serious. D'Angelo. D'Angelo? But he doesn't dance or do anything. But that music is smooth. Like, voodoo? I mean, where he took it afterwards, obviously but not. He never but, like, had, like, it's, a this, it's the right moment. generation. It's, like, early 2000s. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't put him with Usher. And also, unfortunately, <laughs> it was more of these drugs also had D'Angelo going underground. It wasn't just this, like, choice he made. I meant more like with his, the album that yeah, he released, Yeah, no, like, he went recently. a different direction. He definitely yeah. went a di- different direction. I don't know, man. He's almost too neo-soul, and Usher was more, like, pop R&B, less, like, put on this bonnet like that's why i said i was like he was more like underground kind of like yeah even even brown sugar is a little bit like gritty to it which is why i love i love voodoo so much it's one of my favorite albums but that was the best i could come up with which is basically to say i still don't know who usher's perfect versus would be the best i could come up with was d'angelo but we're still taking <laughs> suggestions. So be like Jeremy and shoot us an email and we will talk about it, as you can see. Again. Shout out to Jeremy. <laughs> we will continue. This might be the ongoing theme until we find Usher's versus partner. And then when we do find them, if you're listening, Swiss Beats, we need the receipts. We need a percent off of whatever is happening. If we find <laughs> Usher's perfect versus battle on it just got real bad like i mean we will have one life if that happens but that would be amazing give us some takeaways trey oh my gosh i don't really know if i have takeaways for something i'm still figuring it out um but i guess what i will say (laughs) i don't have takeaways but what i will say is you can only run one race in life and it doesn't mean you can't do multiple things but from a mindset perspective you can't be going for gold, but also saying, or I could get silver at the same time. You just got to go for Mm -hmm. the gold. And if you end up with silver, then you end up with silver, but you can't be shooting for silver. And I think that's just really, really important no matter what you're doing. Like, And not to let people talk you out of it. Because so many people will be like, you need to be practical. You should have a plan B. And it's like, no, that's not how you get the gold. No, it's not. It's not. Nope. Don't make your plan B become plan A. Like, Make plan A, plan A. You could sketch it out loosely and like know that you might need to go there, but you should not spend any time thinking about it. Mm -mm. It's a waste of time. Mm -mm. So there's that. The second thing really is around vision. I think vision for me is about seeing what doesn't exist. Wealth probably doesn't look like wealth when you're starting out. 
right? Like, so like, you don't know today, you can't see it. It's not tangible exactly what the thing is. It's like any of these billion dollar companies, like so many people tell these stories about how they didn't think those companies were billion dollar companies. Like in the realities, you don't know. So even when you're in it and you're not feeling like you're going to make it, remember that like until it's like happening, you don't know. Mm-hmm. You're just going for it. And so it's a personal call to like have vision and remind myself that like some of the moves I want to make or I'm going to make, I am not going to know the outcome of it. Mm-hmm. But I've got to have conviction that that direction is the direction. And that's what vision is really all about. And so also shouting out E for that tweet. I love your tweets, generally speaking, but that one was especially poignant for me at this current moment. I think you also said one more thing I'd like to pull out as a takeaway, which is the thing about like the saving for a home mentality versus what you're doing. There's a moment when you need to recognize that what you're doing is outside of the norm and it's way too energy sapping and excruciating to try to keep stuffing yourself in the normal box while also going off the beaten path. Like if you're going to pick the off the beaten path route and be like, cool, I'm going to be the person that starts a company in 2020, the shittiest year yet. And I'm going to go for it. I'm going to raise money and I'm going to do these things like go do it. And like, don't try to also step yourself in the normal box at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's not only is it impossible, but it's going to be like really stressful yeah. while you're trying to make it happen until you come to this realization. It's just not, it's not worth it. Yep, absolutely. And I hope that some people are running off and doing that in 2020. I think that it's like been a tough year for everybody and, and it's a scary time. And probably a lot of people are thinking about going in-house or getting a more quote unquote stable job. And and I hope that people continue to do what we're doing because it's needed in this world right now. Absolutely. I think it's a great place to end. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, next Thursday. And if you have anything that you would like to share with us, you can hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, at GotRealPod, or you can email us. And we would love to know who you think Usher's Versus should be still. I love that. Bye, y'all. <laughs>